Hello Rebels, you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, The Gun Show. My guest tonight is Marty Gold, the Winnipeg-based editor of thej.ca, to talk about the looming Manitoba election call and what the J.ca saw when they went to the Toronto Al-Quds Day. If you like listening to this podcast, then you will love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to become a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show as well as other great TV-style shows too, like Ezra's nightly Ezra Levant show and David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup. It's only 8 bucks a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to therebel.media slash shows to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support us at The Rebel without ever spending a dime. And now please enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Is Manitoba headed towards an early election and what the heck is going on with the open calls to genocide on the streets of Toronto? I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. The mainstream media is starting to ramp up with their fake news attacks on Manitoba's conservative premier, Brian Pallister. Pallister's been accused of skipping a D-Day ceremony when in reality, he gave his spot to an MLA who happens to be a veteran. Now, I recognize that level of fake news and character assassination. We just lived through it here in Alberta, which must mean they're getting close to election season in Manitoba. Now, moving further east, as captured by my friend and colleague David Menzies at the Al Quds Day March, Toronto has a bit of an anti Semitism problem, but it's not from the alt right or neo Nazis. It's from the radical Islamic extremists who are openly calling for genocide and Sharia law. Joining me now from Winnipeg in an interview we recorded earlier is my friend and veteran broadcaster Marty Gold to talk about both of these issues and what we can do to prevent the hatred on the streets of Toronto from spilling over into the rest of the country. From Winnipeg is Marty Gold. He's the editor for the J.ca. He's also a former Winnipeg radio personality and he's a bit of a wrestling legend. So we're lucky to call him a friend of the show. Uh, Marty, thanks for joining me. Thank you. I'm, I'm only a legend because I've survived this long and almost <laughs> everybody I started with is now in a blissful retirement. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Those are very kind words. Uh, I, I, the the notion uh, of me being a radio personality is based on a talk show that was really the 
I wouldn't say it was the first of the genre in Winnipeg, but after Talk Radio 1290 got blown out, there was no alternatives in the market to uh, what, what Chorus Radio was putting in with Ad, Charles Adler, etc. And I provided an alternative until it made the uh, NDP establishment uh, far too uncomfortable. And, uh, and the next thing you know, I'm, years later, I've evolved into this kind of a personality, uh, uh, splitting my time between, the, uh, you know, we call Jewish affairs, Israeli affairs. And I still try to cover the... Uh, the secular stuff, uh, Manitoba and Winnipeg politics as well. Uh, not as much as I did, but I uh, am still on top of uh, a lot of those issues. Yeah, you were making the NDP uncomfortable as an independent journalist before I ever thought it was cool. So <laughs> um, I think we're sort of kindred spirits in that respect. And that's I, one of the reasons so I wanted to have you on the show is to talk a little bit about Manitoba politics, because a lot of the things that are happening in Manitoba, it's sort of um, um, it's happening all across the conservative movement. You have a conservative government that was elected to do certain things and they seem sort of weak on those issues. Um, and there's, you know, uh, the fake news that's happening there. So why don't you give us a bit of a, a roundup of what's happening in Manitoba politics? Uh, well, um, uh, in this instance, we're going to focus on provincial, Manitoba meaning provincial politics. Yes, opposed of to What's course. going on in like uh, Lynn Lake or something. Uh, uh the the provincial government uh, has clearly decided uh, that they are going to go to the polls early uh, based on Tom Broadbeck's column today in the Winnipeg Sun. It looks like that date is going to be uh, September the 10th. Uh, the election otherwise wouldn't be held until October of 2020. The uh, putative reasoning of Premier Pallister is that a political campaign in the middle of the Manitoba 150 celebration, the anniversary celebrations, would put a government in a position of being accused of politicizing various, you know, events and and uh, perhaps uh, politicizing funding decisions or I don't know what. Uh, the the real reasons for this are, um, uh, you know, far more uh, related to the political chess game in Manitoba uh, than worrying about selling anniversary. Uh, celebrations per se. There is, um, uh, let's address that fake news. Uh, the the media here uh, is, are they are not uh, on good terms with Premier Pallister. He has, he's a difficult guy to get to know. Um, and uh, he's uh, legit, he's got genuine skepticism. Anytime he pretty much, he deals with the media. Uh, I don't think he's helped his cause by creating the aura of of being inaccessible a lot of the time. He went out of his way to say that even in this fake pre-election, uh, uh, non-mandatory, but we're going to impose our own blackout, he's still going to make himself available. So he's trying to mollify that. Uh, but the fake news revolved in this case most recently around the D-Day uh, commemoration where Premier Pallister did not appear uh, at the ceremony. Uh, and uh, the headlines in... Uh, I think CBC and the Free Press are really at the forefront of this. Here was uh, Pallister's missing. And I mean, he took a lot of, I hate to use the term actually in relation to, to D-Day, but he took a lot of flack uh, for this. I, I First of all, it's it's fake. Anytime there's a headline that said he's missing, he wasn't missing. He had gone to a meeting with an agri-processor that's investing, if I'm remembering correctly, $400 million in a factory in Portage La Prairie. Uh, this, uh, I think, relates to the pea production that's become very important uh, part of our economy. Uh, so he wasn't off uh, suntanning uh, or collecting autographs or something or sightseeing. Uh, but I felt, and, and I'm, I'm making this statement, um, you know, on a very personal level, 
I thought that these stories were ridiculously unfair to the member of the legislature who took Premier Pallister's seat at the ceremonies. Um, John Reyes, he would be a respected member of the legislature no matter which party he were representing. Uh, he's, the, he's a multicultural um, ally. Uh, a, a respected amateur sport, uh, amateur professional, I guess, in a sports official. Uh, I did not know him at all in my radio days. Uh, you know, when he first met me, uh, which was about six, seven years ago, he was uh, effusive in his praise for the kind of work that I had done. And I wasn't really familiar with his background. But he's the kind of guy that when you meet him and when you talk with him and see how he addresses uh, issues and public concerns, you can easily picture him being elected as a, as a liberal uh, or as a new Democrat, quite frankly, he's very personable, and he's he's uh, a, a, a military veteran and deserved a lot more respect than he got for the premier to have made the decision. And granted, his itinerary said he'd be there. And I haven't talked with John. I don't know what the background was to the switch, but for him to make the, that decision to let a military veteran who is respected by every—I've never heard a bad word about John Reyes—and to 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 for the media to 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 um, uh, to to criticize this, it, it it is like a you know like a backhanded uh, slap at John Reyes and the legitimacy of him representing Manitoba at these ceremonies, of which there can be no question. And I think it was really unfortunate. Again, the premier's office maybe could have handled this uh, it, it better in terms of putting out an explanation announcement ahead of time. Why? But. The choice of John Reyes to represent Manitoba at, at this kind of a, of a ceremony commemorating, commemorating uh, the sacrifices made by all the Allied soldiers and, and you know, frankly, as well as the, 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 the loss on all sides in war, uh, it, it's, it, should not have been, it should not have been approached by the mainstream media the way they did because, it, to me, is really disrespectful uh, of John Reyes as though he did something wrong saying that he would, would represent our province uh, at D-Day. And uh, and I wanted to, to make mention of that because John's a rising star uh, politically. He, in my estimation, should have been in the Pallister cabinet uh, through this first iteration of the Pallister government. I expect he will be in it in the next iteration. And, uh, and you know, every once in a while in politics, you'll hear of people like, I'll give an example, Nathan Cullen, people really try not to say bad things about from the NDP who's retiring federally. And John Reyes is that kind of a guy who really rises above partisanship and is seen as somebody who tries to contribute to the greater good. And uh, I want to make sure to give a shout out to John uh, because uh, he, his reputation, his action, actions should not be sullied by uh, the media's rivalry with the premier. Now, as, uh, looking towards a prospective uh, provincial election, there are weak points uh, for the government. One weak point is uh, there's been um, redis boundary redistributions. So uh, some seats that they took in the last election uh, from the NDP, uh, Thompson, where Steve Ashton fell after 30-something years. Uh, that could be back in play. I think it's Brandon East uh, could be back in play. Redistribution might create some uh, pressures on some city ridings as well. Uh, but ultimately, Pallister appears to be going uh, to the polls early because the opposition, the official opposition, as well as the third party, the NDP and the Liberals, under their current leaders, uh, have had great difficulty getting traction on issues. Wab Canoe comes with a, a lot of baggage. He sidestepped a real uh, real problem with regards to the um, uh, the use of the term genocide 
in relation to the missing and murdered women report where he said he didn't want his kids to be seen as as disadvantaged in some way. Uh, it was very smart of him to do that, do that, considering that his kids go to private school, that he's the son of a hereditary chief. It, it would be a ridiculous argument to for somebody to suggest the Canoe family was was that affected by by these factors. Uh, he did himself a lot of good, honestly, I think, instead of jumping on that train. But he's got his own baggage to deal with that the conservative government is going to continually bring up. Um, there are weak points. The implementation of changes in emergency rooms, uh, some being converted to, to uh, urgent care, it's very rough, very patchy. Uh, one of the reasons is that the, the conservative government did not take a broom and sweep clean the bureaucracies. And over and over again in different government departments, uh, Department of Health, Sustainable Development, they've continually been tripped, tripped up, in my estimation, by leftover bureaucrats whose loyalty uh, is to something other than the, the actual service, public service, uh, you know, and delivering programs according to the mandate of the government. And, and that has cost the conservatives votes. There are a lot of people that work very hard um, bringing forward the kinds of, of, of uh, crass behavior and unfair decisions of the previous uh, Selinger NDP administration who feel that they've been abandoned by the Pallister government where their issues weren't addressed, where there was no, you know, look, it's not reparations, but you've got to try to make things better for people. And they left a lot of, of bodies, you know, kind of behind on the roadside. And there's very loyal individuals who are conservative by definition and by, by, their, by their own, uh, you know, political orientation. They're going to be sitting this one out. I don't think they're going to have the ground game, but for the NDP and for the liberals under their, their relatively newly elected leader, Dougal Lamont, they don't have the money. They don't have the ground game. Uh, the coffers are weak. The Tories' coffers are strong. I'll be happy to provide you know more insight as the campaign rolls out. But uh, it's it's a political opportunism. Go a year early, and in that way, Pallister can plan for an orderly um, an orderly uh, step into his next phase of life. He's not going to serve out the full four years if he's uh, reelected in uh, September 2019. Do you think the NDP in Manitoba are sort of feeling the? implosion of the federal party is that what's leading to some of their um ability to fundraise those problems is their ground game collapse no i think it's their own honestly their own implosion <laughs> they, they got their asses kicked can i say that oh, so yeah. badly in the provincial election they dropped down to 14 seats and they've lost two mlas since and a number of the um uh, the veterans of the caucus uh uh, uh james allen andrew swan uh both of whom were interesting fellows to talk to, to say the least. But, uh, you know, these vets, uh, I believe Flor Marcelino is also ste stepping aside. So, look, what's rising in the ranks of the NDP, they're using the, Man the Winnipeg School Division uh, as a farm club. They have for years, uh, to the detriment of the provincial conservatives that have never understood that this is um, considered fair game in Manitoba. But when you start elevating these hardcore, far-left, Marxist school trustees, and these are your star candidates, this just doesn't have a lot of appeal for the average, for the average voter. You know, the Selinger government lost, like, a lot for the, for the Conservatives to end up with 40 seats, that's a lot of lost ground. And Canoe uh, as leader um, just doesn't, it just doesn't appeal to a lot. Look, the challenge here is for Dougal Lamont and the Liberal Party, who who are also, you know, 
unfortunately for them, they're they're linked with the federal yeah. party the same way the NDP is. I'll put it to you this way: if Mr. Singh had a a better standing uh, with the national media, more prominence, you know, more traction federally, it might help the NDP to the tune of us two seats here. But the Trudeau government is an, an anchor on Dougal Lamont, who, again, I've, I've met and uh, talked with personally. And uh, he's an, in, an interesting guy uh, and, uh, and, and wants to bring forward some, some good ideas. But any time, I'm sure that at the doorstep, he's going to hear the word Trudeau over and if he doesn't hear Freeland or McKenna. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's going to hear these words over and over again at the doorstep. And, and that is too bad because the Liberal Party, I expect, will bring forward some decent candidates. Um, but I think that the NDP is, you know, the threat to them is that if the Liberals gain traction and they go from the four seats they have, one of theirs, uh, MLAs, is not going to be running again. But if they go from, you know, four seats to seven to, seven to eight, something like that, then the pendulum could swing in a way where the NDP is going to per be permanently seen as a rump caucus of, uh, you know, marginal special interest groups and unions. Uh, unions are not very popular here right now, uh, no matter uh, no matter how hard they try. Uh, there, there's a lot less sympathy for uh, nurses being displaced in the uh, in the healthcare uh, field. Uh, our, uh, changes, etc. It's a lot less sympathy for the unions than than one would have expected, because the sense of the public is the unions have had it good for too long, and it's hard for Lamont to figure out how to address that. I know that Dougal wants to, uh, uh, you know, come up with alternatives in terms of delivery of health care, but anything that looks like it's helping the unions or directed free union votes, it's going to work against them with the the average taxpayer. You know, that sounds so much like what Alberta went through and is going through where people do think that, the, you know, the unions have had it too good for too long. And when, you know, the NDP fear monger about these so-called Jason Kenny cuts, I always think, don't threaten me with a good time. You can fire. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> and, the, and the film and government went through that here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I, and I was no fan of the film and government. Uh, and there's plenty of evidence of that. I caused them some grief in a couple of subjects and, and the Sterling Lyon government succeeding Schreier. I mean, Sterling Lyon and Philman, uh, Having met them both, and Brian Pallister's actually, uh, you know, talk with him one-on-one, -on -one, uh, he's a much nicer person, I find much more at ease in my experience with him. But then again, I met Brian like 1993 when we were, we were running a, a filibuster that wasn't expected by the film and government on taxi legislation. And it was left to Pallister, the, the young guy, the only guy with hair long enough to reach his collar uh, in those days, the legislature to pull us aside and try to broker some sort of a deal because... There's no air conditioning in the legislature and they wanted to go home. And we had 200 cabbies lined up to speak at, with no time limit. Uh, so, you know, I have a long standing, not a personal friendship with him, but he knows me. Uh, and, and anytime I've talked with him, he's been easy to talk with. I don't I realize that's not the experience for a lot of people. Um, uh, but in any event, you know, I, I suppose that for opposition parties, their relief is that they're really for some of them, they're going to be looking past this election, trying to hold their own turf and figure out what they can do to run against whoever the next leader is going to be. I anticipate that there are a couple of women in cabinet that are going to be the front runners to succeed at Pallister in 2022 or whenever that might come about. Well, that is very fascinating. I'm sort of uh, looking towards uh, Manitoba with um, trepidation and anticipation, I guess. You never should really underestimate the NDP. But in changing lanes to the sure. other Marty Gold beat, um, there's a story that we were talking about off air 
that uh, you've been following, but there doesn't seem to be that much coverage in the media now. And it's about the pressure from BDS groups against Puma, the shoe manufacturer these days. Yeah, this this came up because on the weekend, BDS Canada put out a, a very uh, verbose pronouncement uh, that Danny Green, who's uh, the uh, ace uh, shooter of the Raptors, uh, that uh, he has a big endorsement deal with Puma, uh, uh, as did, uh, you know, the Raptors and uh, with, there's a long tradition, Carter and the Raptors around the year 2000, I guess, had a big deal, uh, maybe going into 2000 with Puma. So they decided to, to try to capitalize on Raptor mania and the, the fact that the country's swinging by in a basketball team really for, you know, the, the first time. Uh, to this extent, and they decided they would try to ride it with some free publicity, and Puma supports the colonial Israeli Zionist project, all that other nonsense, and try to extend their call for a, a boycott of Puma to connect it directly to the Raptors and Danny Green. And I did a Google News search, and not one news story, uh, news agency seems to have picked up on this. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that they do. And then the, the problem is so much when they, these BDS characters try this stuff, it's when it, it's stupid ideas like this gain traction. Danny Green is not going to change a single Israeli policy as it pertains to Gaza, the West Bank, or any other issue yeah. in the state of Israel. And trying to drag uh, athletes into this, distract them during a, uh, playoffs, during a title run, it shows you the lack of character of the people that that steer the ship of BDS Canada and these allied groups. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, lowlifes doing what lowlifes do best, being lowlifes. Well, and I think for the average sports viewer, I think they've had it up to here with um, both, you know, activist groups and activist athletes barfing their political views into the sports realm. I mean, look at Kaepernick. You know, people are just really sick of seeing um, athletes kneel for the anthem, privileged athletes kneeling for the anthem while soldiers stand. And I think um, hopefully this is sort of a, a harbinger of things to come that maybe, maybe these athletes and these sports organizations are going to do a little less kowtowing to this activist pressure. Well, the, this starts with the, with the, the, the sports media. You know, yeah. ESPN learned the lesson, right? And the sports media, to look, athletes have, have, and this is an American thing more so than a Canadian thing. Yes. And, and I, I, having lived in L.A. Uh, for a period of time, I, I, I try not to wade too deeply in a second guessing how Americans conduct their business under their, uh, under their Bill of Rights, under their charter. Mm -hmm. um, uh, athletes have, going back to my childhood, uh, you know, the late 60s, uh, athletes, uh, Bill Russell certainly took the forefront in civil rights issues, etc. Uh, 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 Rosie Greer was right there when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. So I don't want to second guess that too much, but when you start bringing those issues onto the field of play and into the arena, this is where athletes create this, this, this tension with their, with fans, with fan yeah. bases, in my opinion. Um, and I, uh, you know, Ka Kaepernick, um, I could have sworn I saw a story this weekend, by the way, that I didn't click on, uh, that he had been offered a contract by the by uh, Seattle, uh, which may be possible. Uh, but uh, the um, the American public 
in particular views sports as uh, as a as uh, you know neutral turf when it comes to politics. That's yeah. how they want it. Nobody booed whatever anybody thought about Richard Nixon or Jimmy Carter. Anytime that they phone the winning team at the end of the World Series of the Super Bowl, you don't boo that. Uh, and so I, I think that um, uh, that. The, the sports leagues have become sensitive to it. They don't want to lose viewership. Viewership equal, equals the dollars that they that they need to deliver. Uh, it's a, become a very fine line. Uh, the CFL has, you know, ventured close to this line in the last couple of years, not so, so far this year. It is something that professional sports leagues, this is an easier fit for amateur sports leagues than professional sports leagues. That's for sure. But once you're a professional athlete, when you start bringing this stuff, you know, into the field, into the ring, uh, onto the onto the, the the pitch or whatever. It, 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 people don't want to feel they're being antagonized by having something thrown at them that isn't relevant to why they're there, which is to, you know, whether it's cheer for the home team, watch the game, whatever. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people watch sports for relaxation, uh, an escape, <laughs> an escape yeah, from absolutely. the political world, right? <laughs> well, listen, I, I can tell you from my own experience where I, I'm, I'm – uh, hosting wrestling shows and, and refereeing occasionally and whatever. And I, I was uh, in the ring uh, in, a, in a battle royal this past weekend. Nobody comes to wrestling shows uh, to see, you know, great political statements. Uh, they don't see wrestling shows. The, the, the political statement they see is that things can go on in the ring and are, and are portrayed that are, you know, politically incorrect, kind of ribald sometimes, a little bit over the top. Not every show's like that. Some are, are more family oriented. But they accept it for what it is, and they don't put expectations in this country. Uh, you know that that uh, they want to see statements made about various political issues or or you know clean air or, or, or environmental issues. They they're there to be strictly entertained and uh, to you know get away for a while. And uh, thankfully, professional wrestlers, for the most part in this country, seem to understand that that is their role. Though again, online, so socially. Uh, 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 they, they're becoming more vocal, more active. Uh, but uh, when people come to the shows, you're not, nobody's standing there would sign the, this petition or something. Uh, we try to keep it, in my experience, we're trying to keep it, that part of it away from the shows. And notwithstanding the, the event this weekend was uh, to raise money for a, the resor uh, a, a uh, resource center uh, uh, as part of Pride Week. It was very important to Premier Championship Wrestling and a lot of the wrestlers there. Uh, that's being part of the community. That wasn't trying to jam anything down anybody's throat. It, again, a fine line, uh, and uh, and uh, it's uh, something that, especially big league professional sports, um, I don't think that they're going to be able to push the envelope in the next five years the way they tried in the previous three. I think that they've, they've recognized that there's a boundary there that the fans don't want to see crossed. Yeah, I hope not. I mean, I've learned over the last three years, if there's somebody that I'm a fan of, uh, a celebrity, musician, actor, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't check their social media because I don't want to you find out to... that I'm not a fan of them anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I we took the long way around, but I want to get to another story about BDS, and this is about um, the voices of BDS sort of being normalized in Jewish media. And yeah. I know at the J.ca, you guys have covered this quite extensively where these, you know, like independent Jewish voices, they're given um, a lot of page space in Jewish legacy media. And uh, I think you guys at the J.ca seem to be serving as uh, the appropriate counterbalance to all of that. 
Well, um, <clears throat> I well, we appreciate that. Uh, our publisher, Ron East, uh, and we'll talk. We'll talk more about Ron's recent yeah. misadventures. But one thing that uh, that that he and I have talked about is a number of years ago. It's probably about two thousand and seven. Uh, his father, Yarmam Mizrahi, who was lieutenant colonel in the Israeli uh, uh, Defense Force and was the commander in southern Lebanon um, in the in the 70s, dealing with Sad Haddad and the Christian militias and 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 with various tribes and and whatever. And Yoram uh, uh, was a very respected figure in retirement, settling in Canada on matters of international affairs, terrorism, etc. And he was um, asked to participate in a panel at the University of Winnipeg in 2007. And one of the panelists proceeded to ambush Yoram uh, and the audience with all this Israel apartheid and all that that kind of far left nonsense. And uh, Yoram said, if he'd have known that this is what it was going to turn into, as opposed to a reasoned discussion about the issues. And Yoram should be understood; he was a labor supporter. He was uh, remarkably left wing. And here they are jumping on a guy who, in terms of uh, wanting to find solutions. Uh, for for Palestinian grievances and create peace in the region, he's on their side, and they jumped all over him. And part of that was the engineering of independent Jewish voices. And what we found um, in 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 particularly in Winnipeg, and this is something with the legacy media, where independent Jewish voices. Let's look at this statistically. Uh, when you look at their counterpart in the U.S., uh, they calculated uh, how many members they had. I saw this a while ago, and then I divided by the number of uh, people identified as Jewish in America. It came out to about 2.5% of these real far left wing, uh, uh, neo-Marxist radical nuts. So if we apply the same formula in Canada, which by the way, would be the high side, okay? What we saw happen here was, let's go back to Linda Sarsour coming to Winnipeg. The Jewish Federation spoke out, B'nai B'rith spoke out. The mayor of Winnipeg, Brian Bowman, held a press conference uh, denouncing her being given a platform because of, of her, her strident views and her, and her divisive language and for a lot of other good reasons. Now you turn around and the Jewish newspaper in town, the print newspaper, declares that the mayor's been duped by the Federation, by B'nai B'rith, that they're all responding to a bunch of bullies, you know, to a, oh, not a bunch of bullies, a small group of bullies, noisy individuals. Now, with the using legacy, intimidation tactics, I think yes. the quote was bullies yeah. using intimidation tactics, you know, which is an astounding phrase to be uttered from the BDS side of the argument who go around bullying Jewish owned businesses and pro Israeli students on campus. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> The, the Jewish day school in Detroit, children yeah. on Yom Hatzmoda on Israeli Independence Day in uh, 2016. And mm -hmm. they start picketing little kids? Who are these idiots? Well, that was, if not now, but again, that, that's all aligned to the same side of the fence. Yeah. So what we have is the Jewish media claiming that there's no real, the establishment Jewish media, claiming, listen, there's nothing really to be worried about here. And that this is just bringing attention to, to people like Sarsour. Nobody would have even known she was here. Now, look. I don't know. I don't know where on the idiot scale this falls, but you got to be really some kind of out of touch, clued out, uh, as we say, the shtetl mentality to think that a rock star like Linda Sarsour, who's got this great legitimacy and aura among the political left, that independent Jewish voices and these other groups that hosted her in Winnipeg, that they weren't planning to make sure that in four or five days before her appearance, to spur ticket sales, 
that they were going to go to their friends at CBC and their other friends in the in the mainstream media uh, and 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 promote this like look who's coming to town and the the the, the, the social planning council and it's it's to benefit the Muslim Women's Institute. You think they're not going to like put out a press release? They aren't going to try to promote it. Yeah. What happened was noisy individuals. There was a petition opposing her being granted a platform by publicly funded organizations. If a mosque wants to bring in Linda Sarsour, it may be of concern to the broader community, the Jewish community, but that's their own business. These were organizations that received public funding that have charitable status. When 4,200 people signed that petition, that was not noisy individuals and that was not intimidation. And on top of that, the Federation and B'nai B'rith confirmed to me that they had no discussion with Mayor Bowman's office, got a phone call an hour before the press conference, can you come down to City Hall? So this idea that that Mayor Bowman, as an example, uh, didn't come to this conclusion that this was divisive and wrong and that Linda Sarsour is an anti-Semite on his own, uh, it, it's not supported by the facts. And, and even in, in regards to, again, the Jewish Post and News, when they talk about Linda Sarsour, they use the term anti-Semite with quotation marks. This yeah. is the only media, Jewish media, I can find that does this. And so to try to, um, how do I put this? To try to 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 uh, uh, maintain legitimacy in the broader community, in the Jewish community, uh, these, instead of saying, hmm, the community's spoken out and they really don't like this. It's like the community's wrong. Our leadership is wrong. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to watch. This is just making it worse for everybody, which is a very... And, and Ron and Ron East and I had this discussion this weekend. Um, uh, the Jewish communities in Canada are largely, uh, I, I, you know, they've been the purview of people like from my own background, my own family's background, from Eastern Europe, uh, and maybe in some cases from Western Europe, white Ashkenazi Jews. And it, it strikes us that part of the problem here is that the Ashkenazi way of handling things uh, was, uh, you know, to not fight back, essentially, to try, hope things blow over, make nice, don't make noise, shah still. This doesn't work anymore. And it especially doesn't work for Israelis. And it doesn't work for Mizrahi Jews, for Jews from other backgrounds, uh, where they weren't fighting Nazis, they were fighting, uh, uh, you know, terror that was coming from from Muslim communities, from Arab communities, from ra those those kinds of radicals. Uh, and here you have the Jewish Post and News, uh, that that runs letters to the editor from the independent Jewish voices critical of the Federation of B'nai B'rith, you don't speak for all Jews, which brings me back to my original point. If you accept the calculation of 2.5%, which I think is high, if there's 15,000 Jews in Winnipeg, then how many people does independent Jewish voices represent at 2.5%? They don't even represent 800 Jews in Winnipeg, okay? And yet, when the media is trying to find balance, Linda Sarsour is coming to Winnipeg and there's opposition. But this group of Jews say that there's nothing to worry about. This group of Jews think that she's got good points to make. Now, you tell me, the last time there was a story about some Catholic church issue, when was the last time the mainstream media went running to some marginal group of uh, lapsed Catholics? Uh, I'm not quite sure what the term is nowadays, that represents 2% of Catholics and said, well, this group is welcoming the Pope, but these Catholics say, and it represents 2% of Catholics in the country. So for the Jewish community, the pro-Israel community, to be subjected to this, to this fake news balance about views in the Jewish community, which certainly is a legitimate news story from time to time, 
but not when it's a matter of 300 or 400 left-wing Marxist agitators standing uh, in favor of something that promotes not just anti-Zionism, but promotes anti-Semitism by the language used, by the methodologies, by the messaging. Uh, and yet, look, even the Canadian Jewish News, who I, I'm not trying to pick a fight with, but they provided column space to a member of, uh, of, if not now in Toronto, but, oh, you know, you shouldn't be shutting out Jews, the young Jews that question things. Well, look, the problem is when you're brainwashed by your Marxist ideology into thinking, you know, Israel, this colonial project, blah, 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 give me a break. These would be the first people, among the first people, chucked off the rooftops in Gaza if they were there. And and they, they, they've got a very unrealistic view of the world. But, you know, a lot of this is predicated on, geez, Jews really become successful. So many of them came to North America with nothing and, and they're respected in the in the secular communities and they're they're respected for their work with secular charities, with the United Way, with other causes. Uh, we have some we, we, we have something to be feel guilty about because uh, because of our success. And and a lot of this, especially in the states, there's only two, if not now, chapters uh, in Canada. Again, it's all intertwined with independent Jewish voices, Jewish voices for peace. Uh, these these Marxists are all intertwined. They they they're their own um, you know ecosystem. Uh, uh, the 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 way that they have captured in the states American youth, uh, Jewish youth, uh, and it's also because of intermarriage, because of the popularity of uh, of of reform observance uh, uh, Canada is still very conserv uh, uh, orthodox and conservative in terms of synagogue attendance like 80% of the countries like that so what we have is these american ideologies these american methodologies being dropped on a canada not fitting successfully and how do they respond you've got it wrong and the defenders of israel we're intimidating people and we're agitators gay andreath as my father used to say not that's not how it's happening and if you want to see intimidation Again, where was the where were the where was the Jewish media? Where was the mainstream media at Al Quds Day in Toronto? Where were they? We were there. You, know, that's, you were there. That's, the amenities was that's, there. Yeah, that is an excellent segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about was the Al Quds Day or Nakba Day in in Toronto. Well, um, well Nakba there were, was first, and Al Quds yeah. is second. Nakba was a couple of weeks earlier, and we dealt with that in Winnipeg in a manner that no one on the continent has ever dealt with. Uh, uh, when I say we, not so much the J.CL, though our coverage did, but the Israeli Association of Manitoba, uh, our publisher, Ron East, uh, 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 as, as the founder of the organization, he put out a call for people to appear. This was not supported by the uh, legacy Jewish institutions because they do, will not even give the illusion of endorsing anything that takes place on, Sh on Shabbat, on Saturday, which is, again, an Ashkenazi value that Israeli Jews recognize anti-Semites don't take Shabbos off. Neither can the defenders of Israel. Neither can people that stand up for, for uh, the Jewish people and fight anti-Semitism. And uh, there was a film sponsored by Independent Jewish Voices, which, you know, remarkably, the Jewish media here says, well, it's just a little movie. It wasn't even this and that. And yet when you look at what was actually said by the people who brought the film, and they specifically said it was anti-Israel. Uh, how can you, you know, people say, oh, bring this film, it's anti-Israel. But the, 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 these leftist Jewish apologists for the radicals go, well, the film's not that bad. Oh, what are you, nuts? So a rally was organized to precede their Nakba Day march. Uh, they were going to come through a park that sort of connects to City Hall. Uh, the Israeli Association march started 
uh, at City Hall, cut through the park, and they were still like stapling their signs together and they hear Ron on the loudspeaker, uh, on the megaphone, and they come rushing out. But ultimately Ron crossed the street and we published the photographs and there was detente, there was dialogue. Uh, there was an explanation that, that uh, you're not, there aren't Israeli militants in Canada, pro-Israel militants in Canada, saying we got to start another war. We got to start wiping out these communities. Nobody's talking like that. And so to get across it, regardless of the political differences and 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 the, the justifiable tensions that have arisen over a century of of battle that has gone in terms of, of you know the, the the communities of uh, not just uh, not just in Israel but uh, you know in Arab countries and in in in, uh, in European countries pogroms and whatever that there's still a core value as Canadians that we share of wanting peaceful coexistence and this worked until a couple of the uh, pro-Palestinian agitators realized, boy, this makes us look really bad because every place else that's having Nakba Day is carrying signs, you know, pro-BDS. There wasn't a BDS sign in Winnipeg, by the way. As they said, oh, no, one state solution. Okay, well, you know, uh, since the official Canadian position is this two-state solution, when you start talking about a one-state solution, uh, that does not have a good ending for the Jewish people, and it doesn't have a good ending for Christians either. And the rally disengaged. The only place that we can find in North America and maybe in the world where there was actual peaceful talks. Oh, sorry. There was that girl I saw on Twitter that posed with a guy with an Israeli flag and her with a Palestinian flag. And now she's been doxxed and God knows what else by, by all the creeps on her uh, that, that, you know, say that she betrayed their side of the fence. So to bring that forward from Al-Quds, from Nakba Day, Nakba Day is like a, you know, they test the waters. It, uh, every city this takes place. They want to see how the police will respond. They want to see if the Jewish community is going to show up, which as long as these are held on Saturdays, that isn't happening. But now with the growth, the emergence of an Israeli uh, group that will then lead the rest of the Jewish community that aren't observant of Shabbat, this is changing the, the ground game right from under them. Ron went to Al-Quds Day in Toronto uh, and as illustrated by the, the interviews that were done by David Menzies, uh, this is where hate is being festered in our country. And what Ron saw on the ground, uh, and we've got an interview that uh, uh, will be up this week on the J.ca, uh, where I talked with Ron for about 15 minutes. We've intercut some video uh, uh, from the rally itself, not just Rebel Media video, from the Al-Qud side as well, their own uh, propaganda channel. And you hear people like that are presumably uh, one of these leaders, these speakers, so relatively young, you know, young lady, presumably uh, educated in Canada. And the first thing out of her yap is she rejects the Canadian colonial white, white supremacist, racist Canadian experiment government. Anybody who thinks that this isn't a threat, not just to the Jewish people in Canada, but to all Canadians, as Ron explains, uh, and will continue to, to talk about, this is a, a sad mistake. Uh, when you look fundamentally at, at what went on in Toronto, for one thing, it was proven that the City Hall is, is completely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Impotent. They can make all the pronouncements they want. Nothing stopped the Al-Quds organizers from marching without a permit. Nothing's going to stop them next year. The numbers continue to go up. They compromise the police by ensuring that they bust in 250 or 300 children and, mo and presumably mothers, women, because they know no police force outside of Iran, outside 
of of these these kinds of Islamic countries. No police force is going to bust up a parade or a march in the proximity of women and children like that. So this is a propaganda game that the Toronto leadership, Mayor Tory, well, I, I'm telling you, I, I don't care about Toronto politics at all, but it's starting to impact all of us in the rest of the country, uh, Toronto politics, Ontario politics, because of their ineptitude on a lot of files. This is one of them. Uh, that march, uh, the police response, was to herd the Jews and the Israel supporters, go stand over there for your safety. If there's a threat to the safety of people on public sidewalks, how is it that any police force thinks, well, the way to neutralize this is to, is to isolate the people who are being threatened? It, that does make sense in a spontaneous riot. This wasn't a spontaneous riot. Why did they make that decision? Well, because politically, A, the police, it's easier to control 40 people than it is to control 700 or 800. And politically, where are the votes? Where's the political pressure going to come from? And so instead of a country that stands for freedom, a country that stands for tolerance, you had what, again, what Menzies captured in his videos uh, and, and, uh, and what was not reported in any mainstream outlet I can find, I, I, and I may miss something, and if anybody knows, they should let me or Sheila know, I can't find a CBC story, I can't find... I can't find any coverage of this. I think the Toronto Star did actually have a story, um, and and Sue Ann Levy in the in the uh, Toronto Sun. But where's the mainstream media? I, it, it, it's a, uh, what do you, what do they call it, Toronto? The Globe and Mail. Was there a story in the Globe and Mail about Al Quds and how without a permit they were still allowed to march and and chant vile things about Jews and about Canada, about the Canadian way of life? No coverage at all. And this is again from the Iran. This is Iranian. This is state sponsored. The signs are all the same. This isn't where the signs, you know, Trudeau sucks, and the sign that a sign like that appears across the country at different rallies. These are all manufactured with the exact same slogans. So this is state sponsored by has by Iran in promotion of Hezbollah, uh, and Canadian politicians. They're like this. The Canadian media like this, right? And a lot of people in the Canadian public, honestly, they're like this. That's got to change because this is going to get bigger and it's going to go from Toronto and it's going to expand to other Canadian cities. Uh, and and accordingly, you know, what, what uh, Ron's detected is, uh, you know, the, the secular community, if I can use that, uh, that term again, um, people like the, the Christian community, for instance, uh, name another group that, that radical militant Islamists hate, okay? They expect that the first, you know, canary in the coal mine would be the Jewish community. Well, the Jewish federations, the way they're structured, uh, uh, no matter how many, I think it's $60 million they raised in Toronto, they didn't produce a single person on the streets of Toronto to oppose Al-Quds Day. In Winnipeg, they raised $5.9 again. At Nakba Day, they produced zero people to stand up and counteract this kind of hate and this kind of propaganda. And so clearly there needs to be a different initiative because the federations, which fund our old, like the old folks' homes, education programs, worthwhile causes and, and institutions, schools within Jewish communities, but they are not uh, equipped and they are not 
constructed in a way to actually monitor anti-Semitism. They're very good at putting out announcements uh, about uh, uh, CJA, the National Federation, the umbrella body, about federal legislation. Well, you know, if they want to spend their time lobbying 15, you know, cabinet ministers or whatever, that's valid. But that doesn't do a lot for the average Jewish person on the street. And there are places in Toronto or the greater Toronto area where Jews are not comfortable, and probably not only Jews, are not comfortable going. And we had this discussion, uh, uh, you and I did, just, you know, just to, to touch base. Is there any place else where this is the case, where Jewish people would feel, I mean, you got to use common sense, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to walk home from shul deliberately past someplace where you know there's a lot of people that hate you. But just generally speaking, in terms of neighborhoods, and you mentioned West Edmonton starting to get uncomfortable for Jewish people. I can tell you in Winnipeg, there's a one neighborhood that I can think of, a neighborhood, I mean, where a Jewish person or a group of Jewish kids would think, we better not go there. You know, I mean, assuming it's broad daylight, not a dangerous neighbor kind of thing. But in Toronto, clearly this is going on and it's going to get worse. And so to counteract this expansion, because this is the game. They are, Al-Quds is a front for Hezbollah, a front for Iran. They love to sow this division in our country. They love to sow this, this kind of, of hate. Uh, they love to make Jewish communities, Christian communities nervous and, and, and feel uncomfortable. And again, what did Menzies find? That, that these radicals are relying on the population bomb. Did we hear one word? And again, there might have been something came out that I haven't caught, that you haven't caught. I didn't hear of any moderate Muslim spokesperson, any um, religious leader from Canada that spoke out against the, the propaganda of Al-Quds Day. Not one. So it's either because, uh, you know, a skeptic would say, well, this is what they're all really after, which I don't believe, or that there's a fear within the Muslim community itself about rad the radicals and about their propensity for violence and about their propensity for harassment. And so accordingly, uh, you know, uh, Ron and has had a lot of contact with people in Eastern Canada uh, uh, since the Al-Quds March. Uh, and it's clear that there has to be a new initiative uh, that is uh, uh, created independently at this stage from the organized Jewish communities that will be able to go to other cities in Canada. And we've got a list where they're going to be targeted by these kinds of activities, or they're already targeted by Nakba Day, to, to build bridges with Muslim communities, build bridges with Christian churches, with Christian communities. We, we uh, have got a, uh, a couple of invitations to speak at some organizations uh, in June and early July. Uh, uh, Ron and I are very willing to, to engage in similar dialogue with organizations, with religious groups, uh, to ensure that people understand this is uh, this is something that we have to stand against now. Uh, Forty people showing up on a Saturday in Toronto against seven or eight hundred marchers, spewing the kind of hate that they did. That all that does is encourages the hate. When there's three or four hundred people there, now the narrative is going to shift, and then the mainstream media will pay attention. And God forbid, CBC or somebody will actually explain what the river from the river to the sea actually means to Islamists. So in so, the meantime, this is where we're at. So how do people support the J.ca in, I guess, build that broader coalition building, but also how do they support you 
in just your day-to-day mission of, I guess you do what we do here at The Rebel. We tell the other side of the story, the one that's being missed by the mainstream media, the one that is uh, politically incorrect to talk about, the one that people are scared to be, I guess, what's the right term, M103'd, if they talk about. Um, How do people support you guys? And that and that M103, sure, that's a concern. Uh, you know, uh, Ron East uh, served in the IDF. He was born in Israel. His family's from Matula. His, 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 one side of his family goes back seven gener- generations in Jerusalem. And yet he gets called a right-wing Zionist, you know, this and that. What are you, nuts? He's in, his family's indigenous to that, to that, to that, that, not just that country, but to that soil. He realizes that this is the the way that uh, that people try to try to uh, deflect uh, the the war the kind of work that we do and yeah in a way it is rebel media uh, a lot of what I did in radio was was rebel media Manitoba version you know pre <laughs> pre Ezra's vision and this is more microcosmic yeah uh, and it's it's focused on on Jewish Israel's on uh, Jewish issues on Israel and anti-Semitism. Yeah. Uh, we have a support page. There is a Defenders of Israel merchandise, but more specifically, um, you know, we've been working with formulas. There's been a significant look. When I started this, it was by stumbling across an if not now leader from the U.S. being brought in as a star speaker at a Jewish learning conference. He's going to be a speaker at a at a synagogue event, a three synagogue event. And nobody in the Jewish community had noticed in his biography he was with If Not Now, and so many of them didn't understand the kind of uh, the kind of uh, uh, propaganda that If Not Now, essentially self-hating Jews, uh, uh, th- that they engaged in. And since then, for me personally, down the rabbit hole, way deep, and uh, and there's been some significant, you know, startup costs and. Uh, uh, when you when you get involved in stuff like this and these kinds of causes, uh, sometimes you're 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 you know the usual consulting business I've done is not exactly uh, has not exactly flourished because the amount of time I've spent on this I haven't had anybody you know tell me off because of the work I'm doing they recognize the value uh, but it started off from ground zero uh, uh, we can be contacted through the website through the support page advertising we've done some very uh, very good numbers in terms of our Facebook and our Twitter. And uh, and we've uh, would welcome more advertising support. That's the easiest way to help us build the platform. But honestly, if there's, I, I'm I'm going to put it this way, and it's just a formula that came up in my head. If there's a hundred Canadians that recognize that having a platform that gets out the pro-Israel message that debunks these these uh, Zionism is anti uh, is. Uh, uh, is a colonial project, and that Zionism is racism. That that exposes the degree to which this Zionist, the the anti-Zionist dialogue is just the same things have been nasty, rotten, awful lies and generalizations have been said about Jews uh, uh, for so long, as recognized in the Florida bill by Governor DeSantis. Uh, yeah. If a hundred Canadians uh, thought it was worth fifty dollars each. That would get us past our startup costs and then put us into the where we could move to the next phase because this is going to become a bit of a traveling roadshow. I know that there's yeah. pro-Israel stories to be told in Calgary, in, in Regina, in Edmonton, in Vancouver, in Victoria for sure, let alone Eastern Canada. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've redirected my own energies and Ron spends a significant amount of time uh, on this. But, you know, literally 100 people with 50 bucks 
would get us over that first hump and get us to a stage where we can put together a more formal ask uh, for the um, uh, for what are you know in essence going to be uh, 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 seminars to explain to the communities where the dangers are, how the media is being manipulated, why it's important to stand up for Canadian values, because and I, I I'm going by recollection. I think you're I think you're a Catholic. I am. Okay. And and so for people like yourself on the prairies, for people like my family on the prairies, we have coexisted with no fights, no battles, no wanting legislation against each other in relative cooperation within communities for my entire lifetime. And, and I'm sure in your experience, too, it's because we, along with Protestants, along with people from from uh, from uh, Asia, along with people from the African uh, continent, subcontinent, uh, people of all faiths value whatever we may think of multiculturalism as a political party. We know that our governments have provided us with the ability to live our values of being in peace and the the promotion of the Iran agenda on our streets, this propagandizes youth, it propagandizes people maybe that are from these communities that, you know, some of the values from the old country are still being brought in. It propagandizes new immigrants who are not being vetted properly. We have to have this off now. And it's not just, I'd love to tell you, yeah, the, Jew, the Jews will handle it. We can't. They, yeah. the, these attacks on our values are not only about Jews, synagogues, Jewish values in Israel. It's about all forms of Christianity, all forms of infidelism, because there is a contingent of people in our country, aided and abetted by foreign powers, that want to undermine our way of life and make us unsafe in our own communities because they do not hold our values. So since I, I, it's not like anybody can say, oh, deport them, that's a whole process and maybe some people aren't here legally, whatever. The best way to deal with this now is for people to, I hate to say this, um, but literally people need to wake up. Ron's experience, I'm sure David's experience in Toronto as well, it shocked him that this is allowed on our streets. And by the way, as I mentioned to you, Last year, I think uh, Menzies got a, got uh, shoved or something by one of these uh, Al Quds organizers. That's the same guy that sucker punched Ron uh, after saying, uh, 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 try to use this kid for a photo op, a media op. His kid's crying. Who knows why? He comes around the corner. He stops. He says, oh, as Ron describes in, in our video, why are you crying? And Ron says, why are you using your child's propaganda? And the guy goes nuts and hits Ron. Ron goes right to a cop on video. Cop says he's not going to do anything. He's there to keep the peace. Now, only in Toronto can you define keeping the peace as letting some, some some guy with no provocation punch an Israeli leader, but this is uh, a leader of the Israeli community in Canada, but this is how it's working. So people really have to wake up. The You want to talk about who's intimidated? Police are intimidated. Politicians are intimidated. We cannot be intimidated by this. And I, I'm I'm not comfortable being put in the position uh, of... of, of of, of having to like shake people and tell them you're wrong. What you, you know, just because the legacy Jewish media says, oh, there's room for all voices, these other voices 
They're aiding and abetting people that will would in their own realm, in their own regime, if they go to their old country, they would slaughter people with your point of view, with your religious background in a heartbeat. So don't tolerate the transposition of that hate onto our soil, onto our land, into our mutant neighborhoods and our municipalities under the guise of, well, this is just about a political conflict over the fate of Jerusalem between, uh, you know, dispossessed Palestinians on the one hand and, and what are generally portrayed as white supremacist Israelis when 60% of Israelis don't look like me on the other. This is, uh, it's become very, uh, very, you can see how upset I am about this. Um, uh, but this is clearly where the Jays work has to go now. And, and uh, if we've got to go to these different communities and wake people up and build bridges and help the Jewish communities come around and understand you can't stay home just because it's Shabbos. You've got to come out and you've got to show pride in what, what our people are in this society pride in what Israel's accomplished uh, in terms of innovation and, and welcoming different people and in providing democracy in the Middle East because nobody else is going to do it for us now. This is obvious. Police aren't going to stop this. John Tory's not going to stop it. Premier Ford is going to stop it. Before it comes to Manitoba, before it comes to Alberta, before it comes to Saskatchewan, I'm focusing really on Western Canada because so many problems that this country has are because of the failures of Ontario. I know it's one of your favorite subjects now. Whether, <laughs> right, whether it's immigration, gun laws, uh, uh, the expansion of militant Islamist protests, it's all, it, it, Ontario's been able to get a handle on it. That's why it's going to spread, because you get away with it in Toronto. What do you mean you can't get away with it in, uh, you know, in, in Saskatoon or in Victoria? And so it's yeah. going to be tried, and we've got to be prepared to stand up for our values and our way of life instead of having it denigrated by this weird coalition of, of grievance industry, Marxist, leftist, Islamist, fundamentalist, the weirdest coalition that are all bound together by one thing. They do not believe in our Judeo-Christian heritage. They don't believe in the way our country is structured. And as imperfect as it is, there are no immediate alternatives. So yeah, sure, the courts here can stink sometimes. And and the the, the and uh, the way legislation rolls out sometimes it, it doesn't give people yes plenty of imperfections. Those of us in the kind of media that I've partaken in over the years that Sheila does, like, we understand that. But the alternative is that is being presented of deconstructing that holus bolus. It, it is there's a different agenda to that deconstruction than trying to make things better. It's to make things worse. Because in the minds of some deranged people, well, that's a level playing field that way. Because God knows, you know, the privilege that, that I've had in my life. Give me a break. And 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 I, I this is where we're going. And if people feel, like I said, there's 100 people that think that it's worth $50 and, uh, uh, to them to get us over that first hump and get us that second hump. And then we'll be able to go on the road. And and certainly, you know, in the future, Rebel Media is a, a the strongest voice uh, out there that I've been able to find uh, for uh, for the kinds of of issues that 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 in relation to Israel in relation to the the legitimizing of anti-Semitism, uh, especially as it pertains to you know illustrious college campuses, uh, particular in Eastern Canada, the University of Winnipeg is a real hotbed of moderation, uh, and and we we need to um, you know share stories to support each other's work uh, to um, to 
uh, ensure that the public gets the information they are not going to get. I start with CBC because uh, th that is really the one place where I would have expected an Al-Qud story. Even if it would have been, you know, slanted, they didn't cover it at all. Is it because there was no way to make that look good? But you we know, can't I think, count on, I we can't get right. on national broadcasters. Yeah. CTV is going to show up and do this. Ah. And then <laughs> none of them, none of them, they don't have a sense of urgency to it. And they don't want to recognize the, um, they, they don't want to recognize this groundswell. Uh, and, uh, and we do. And and you do and uh, and uh, this is the kind of work that now we see. There's a what's the term I'm looking for? It's an imperative. It's an imperative. It's imperative that somebody take this on and put out information every day about these BDSniks, about Israel, about uh, the about the, the Jewish community, and about anti-Semitism and the 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 morphing of language, so that uh, you can say things that you couldn't really say before, but now it's not really about Jews, but it just happens that every Jew is included in the insult or in the epithet. I never thought my life would come to this. I, I, I grew up in a very sedate, peaceful circumstance on the Canadian prairies, could walk to synagogue every Saturday when I was a kid, you know, past my grandparents' house and whatever. And, and we can still do that, but I can see how there's places in, in Can Toronto. You mark my words, next year, the Al-Quds marches with their bus pickups. They're all going to be by synagogues. They, they thrive on this kind of intimidation. And, uh, and if the Jewish communities themselves haven't figured out how to deal with it, then it's going to be up to organizations like the J.ca to, to lead the way uh, with, the, you know, with the help of people at Rebel Media and other outlets that, that see this for what it is. Well, Marty, I appreciate your passion. I appreciate the generosity you've had with your time today. Um, I'm watching the J.ca very closely. I'm cheering for the J.ca. Um, and hopefully in a few weeks or so, we'll be able to check back in and you can do another, you know, roundup across the board of all the BDS and anti-Israel stories um, that the mainstream media just refuses to cover. I'd be glad to join you and talk about Manitoba politics as well. And yes. provide some insight for your viewers uh, on stuff that goes on in Manitoba and and and, and Winnipeg and uh and uh, you look, I have to thank you because uh, a lot of the you know media outlets, they aren't quite sure what to make of, of what we're doing because it's not the legacy Jewish media. It's yeah. Jewish journalism for the new millennium. It's something that's very new to them. Uh, and so they've re reached out kind of um, you know cautiously uh, behind the scenes. Can you give me a little bit of information about this and that? But I'm hoping that appearances like this will show everybody uh, in the media from all stripes that this is not uh, some... Uh, we're not uh, Kahanists here advocating for any any violence against anybody. We are advocating for the protection of people and for the defense of a way of life that that we all share in this country, uh, and and uh, and to take a stand against these divisive um, these divisive elements that that are as we used to say in Yiddish or is a form of Yiddish, yeah, no goodniks. And there's a lot of no goodniks out there, and and we're just trying to expose them. Well, Marty, I want to thank you so much for your time, and I want to thank you uh, for the work you do in pursuit of freedom on the ground in Winnipeg. Thank you so much, and I'll look forward to seeing you again uh, in a few weeks' time. You got it.
thanks everyone for bearing with me on those video issues with Marty's side of the video. Just this week, the Conservative Party of Canada refused to allow Muslim dissident Salim Mansour to run as a candidate for the party. Mansour should be a no-brainer candidate for the Conservative Party of Canada. He's an associate professor of political science, a former columnist for the London Free Press and the Toronto Sun. He's been published in the National Review and the Middle East Forum and Front Page Mag. He's an immigrant to Canada who embraces Canadian values. He's literally the perfect candidate, but his candidacy has been blocked because Canada's cowardly conservatives are concerned that his criticism of Islamic extremism as a devout Muslim himself could be attacked by the liberals as Islamophobic. Mansour has been effectively, preemptively M103 by his own party because they apparently are far more concerned about the liberals and Rosie Barton than they are about radical extremism. And that's why I agree with Marty that there's a role for all of us to play in calling out extremism and fighting back against it because we can't trust our political leaders to do it. And that's on all sides of the aisle. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next weekend. Remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.